Jake Stansfield. Yes, we're, sir. We're recording on the Small Lake City podcast. Yeah, we are. I listened to your podcast. Mm-hmm. Tell me the name again. It's called Challenging Assumptions with Jacob Vince. <sighs> and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was just the first episode. It was kind of a teaser that you put out a long time ago. And you've, yeah. you know, before we started recording, you've committed to me that you're going to put more episodes out there. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> they were recorded. I recorded a handful of them like six, seven months ago. I got ambitious and then life just got crazy. And so I haven't released anything. And I thought I was going to do like a launch party and make it all big. But nah. Yeah. Eventually, I finally just released one, <laughs> like two weeks ago. So, which it was a good one. It was you and your buddy. Is the the format going to be you and your buddy talking, like having a conversation, or multiple guests, or you you don't know? You're kind of just figuring it out. I'm going to alternate. So, I've got just me and my buddy, and then the reason I started it was like I want I wanted a an ability to connect with people better. Yeah. So if I meet okay. someone cool, like. It's weird to just, I don't know, set up a mandate to hang out or something. But it would be, I'd love to have something that I'm like, yeah, like, let's go chat by a podcast. So just a way to connect with people, really. And I'd yeah. like to get better at it. I found myself awkward in conversation a lot of times. And so it's almost a project to force me into that more. Okay. So my planned format is it'll be me and Brian, and then I'll have a guest, and then I'll do me and Brian again and just alternate. Okay. Nice. So that's the plan for now. Nice. Well, you and Brian's conversation did not seem awkward or forced, but maybe that's because you know Brian pretty yeah. well, it sounds like. Yeah. Like yeah. we, it, like it's talked about in there, we hang out every Wednesday and we have for yeah. a few years now. Um, and he, he's been pretty deep into depression. Mm, and so like we're it. always kind of talking self-help and depression, anxiety, and just improving life. Yeah. So least interesting conversations and... Uh, yeah, thought might be interesting for some other humans to hear. For sure, a, a depth conversation. You know, you guys were really touching on some things that were meaningful. I mean, it's it's sometimes easier to just have a conversation about politics or all these surface level things. I mean, politics can get deep, but like these mm. easier things to talk about. But when you dive into something like depression, you know, that's that's depth. Yeah, for sure. And like most top most conversations I've heard on depression seem to go the same route and it's like the simple easily identifiable fixes right that you should be doing in order to get out of it but right it's like every time i hear that it's like you kind of get it but you're missing a big part of it it right. feels like these people haven't fully been there right and i've had enough of a taste of it that i can at least grasp how hard it is to make yourself do the things that will get you out of it when you don't even know if you want to get out of it because right. you genuinely believe that it's impossible when you're in that state. So it feels useless to do anything. Yeah. So it's a it's a tricky puzzle, depression. For sure. And uh, we were talking a little bit about what I do outside of the podcast, and you know, I mentioned social work, and I didn't really get into like I. I am a licensed clinical social worker so i do therapy a little bit but it's not like my main job so i don't really like focus that when you know somebody asks me what i do but i do see like a handful of clients and i do you know work with people depression anxiety trauma all these these sort of aspects and it's refreshing to hear from people like your buddy or yourself that kind of can speak to that because at some level i think i've experienced depression of being you know 
down and bummed out for certain life events or certain things like you talked about in your podcast that there's this event that happened and you know the consequences of me being bummed out and so mm-hmm. that would make sense right right but like this long-term feeling really depressed uh, yeah i've never experienced that you know i don't know yeah. i don't know what that's like and so it, it was good to hear from that sort of perspective and try to get some of that understanding but i think also probably a lot of that understanding is internal to that person like you know like I, as a therapist i probably can't understand that ever right yeah yeah for sure like it, it's i try to be careful with how much i'm like yeah i know how that feels because <laughs> right like, like i've had my periods of depression like you said where i'm down and i've had it for months maybe even a full year but like there was reasons you know i could trace it back to an event that caused it and i'm down because of this and because of this so right. I can start to identify solutions or where I would want to be and then start charting a course to get there. But when it's like a clinical level of depression that seems like there may or may not be any reason, or if there is, it's like it could be covered up internally. You may have blocked it out. It mm. could be childhood trauma. Right. It could have been 20 years ago and you're fully aware of it, but it could have sent you spiraling down to somewhere that is hard to get out of so yeah and it, my work with mental health kind of seems like there's some value in like that exploration about history like well what is it in my history that may be caught up with trauma or childhood or these events or sort of thing versus this idea of almost acceptance like uh, maybe i just got it like, like maybe this is who i am and accept who i am for who i am and maybe that just that part of reaching some sort of level of acceptance and getting better and better at that acceptance releases some of that depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's just a thought that I've had. I don't know if that's true. I've, I would say I'm more of an anxious person than a depressed person. So I've tried to do that with my anxiety in terms of like becoming friends with my anxiety. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. here you are again, old friend, you know, like, what's up? Like I can kind of recognize what that is a little bit quicker now and maybe make some responses quicker when those things come up. But yeah, it's a a challenging topic. I just heard, uh, a quote. It was like a little Instagram video, but it was a guy asking the Dalai Lama. Um, he's like, "There's so many people like with depression and anxiety now. It almost seems like an epidemic. Like, what would you say to a person that came to you with with those issues?" And he said, "Like, depression and anxiety are both symptoms of inward thinking. So you're thinking about yourself. It's like me. Why do I feel like this?" Uh, what happened to me, what's going to happen to me. Mm. It's very internal, it's self-focused. And he said, the solution is turning your focus to look outward. Like, get out of your own head, get out of your own pattern, So, like, yeah. and help someone else. Yeah. If you take the focus off of yourself and just start serving people in any regard, right? if nothing else, it's a temporary getting out of that pattern and the more that you do that you're going to break that pattern so right. look outward i i like that and i i think in my life i've i've noticed that to be true as well and this outward looking thing maybe is also where you know the general canned answers of well 
exercise more also mm-hmm. come from because ex- exercise is kind of an outward look too if you're really physically exerting yourself then there's you know, less time to think about my depression you know mm-hmm. sort of thing you're kind of breaking out of that um i i personally you know don't do that very well with like just going to the gym and exercising i, I play sports and sports is a little bit more complex of that exercise because there is the thinking aspect of sports and then the physical aspect of sports too. Like, and community. Yeah, and community. So you're you're yelling at each other, you're thinking about strategy and how you're going to execute your own game, and then you're physically interacting with that. Mm-hmm. All those things happening simultaneously gives me no time to be anxious or no time to be <laughs> depressed. Like I can't think about being anxious or depressed as well. So, yeah, I think that's like just to add a little bit more value to that exercise piece. I think that's like pretty complex it's not as easy as just like well if you go live if you go do your curls jake you're not gonna be depressed yeah how bad you really want to get (laughs) out of it if you're not working out exactly like uh why why the hell would i work out (laughs) yeah i don't care about anything i can't get out of bed so just work out bro (laughs) yeah get it you gotta get out get a job Uh, yeah sounds good you're not wrong (laughs) yeah you're not wrong to a certain level but there's yeah there's very complex complexities to that that was another theme that i sort of noticed from your conversation in your first podcast was that you know life is pretty complex yeah right yeah (laughs) And, and it's okay to for it to be complex and it's better if we talk about that complexity rather than just you know not having any sort of conversation at all true true it's strange because it's there's infinite complexity in every direction but it's also like we create that complexity in a lot of ways too yeah yeah, we do we could shut the hell up and go help somebody or sit on our porch and just be present you know yeah um, easier said than done sometimes, but it's funny the levels to which we complicate life. Yeah. Where if we zoom out a little bit, like, things are usually okay. Yeah. And not to diminish all of the problems that people are having, and there is a lot of complexity, but there's also a lot of ways that we can simplify. So part of the challenge, uh, I mean, part of the solution of complexity is to, you know, really work to make things simpler you know like make my our own individual life simpler and to make our our community simpler i, I think is a is a huge thing and going to the gym come on just gotta <laughs> get, get your it. curls in you know do you exactly. remember to do your tries today or what obviously you know? i haven't <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh community is a, a big focus that I, I always talk about on the on the podcast is you know bringing in different voices in the community so from your sort of general exploration and maybe the work you've done in your podcast and work in your own personal life how does the community piece connect for you like what is it is it like you you're talking about community is it 100 percent necessary to get involved in your community to at least have a community i don't know what, what are your thoughts on community i'm not sure um i haven't done much so i i'm post lds was mormon grew up mormon um it's strange how that creates a sense of community, almost mm-hmm. in a sense that it's your whole world. Coming out of that, I found it's kind of oddly strange to create a similar sense of community outside of that. Maybe that's just because that's what I'm used to, but I have not taken any steps to get involved with community things. I do no team sports. 
I don't think I do anything community-based at all. Uh, I would like to. I'm starting to want to kind of like build my man tribe and find my people and sure. get involved in things. But I also don't feel super passionate about any topic that I can be like, ah, oh, I yeah. love soccer, so I can go do <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't care. I have no sports I really care about. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think there is a lot to that as far as like living life to the fullest and getting connected to people. I think that's a great idea for people who are struggling with depression or anxiety to just get out and involved in something outside of yourself. Sure. Um, Because you're going to find people you can relate to. But a lot of them, myself and Brian included, that's like, okay, community, cool. What do I love? (laughs) <laughs> we need like the cricket button right now, but it's yeah. like I have no idea. I have no idea what to get involved in. So yeah, kind of in a place right now. I just came out of a relationship, and I'm feel like I'm kind of starting fresh. So I want to just start exploring. Yeah, uh, not sure even what that looks like yet. I'm gonna start taking a lot of lessons. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I appreciate the honesty of like not knowing because as as you were speaking and as as I was thinking about that myself, it is sort of this thing in our community, especially I can't speak for all communities, but then in our community, there are certain value sort of levels of like you get involved in community in sports, you get involved in the community in religion, uh, you get involved in the community with politics what if I don't like those things? Yeah, yeah I mean, right? I'm sure there's some more, uh, some other big ones as well, but what, you know, what if I don't identify or care about those things? Then, then what about that for me? Uh, that's a challenge. Cause I think there are, of course, a large percentage like yourself, like myself, you know, post being post LDS as well. Of like, I don't have that church LDS thing going for me anymore anymore. So what does community look like for me? It's, it's a tough one. Do you do anything like you mentioned that you do team sports? Yeah. Do you have any other things that you do that are like community based? That is a tough one. So yeah, I, I play soccer a lot still, and then uh, I joined a kickball team. Okay. So like kick this is this was more fun. like uh, like okay I'm decently athletic so I can play kickball but kickball is just more like let's go have a laugh right. and drink a beer while we do it sort of thing see now we're talking see, see now we're getting somewhere. yeah so I, I appreciate you know being invited to be on the kickball team and the kickball team is a part of Beehive Sports which is uh, a sports organization that was kind of grown at, I think out of this sort of need but it's still sports based but it's like we don't care if you're good at sports. We don't care if you really like it. Just come and join a team. They have like sand volleyball. They have kickball. They have cornhole. They have oh. the traditional like soccer and basketball sports as well. But it's like, you know, this is social. We're, we're social level. We don't care if you uh. suck at it or, or whatever. Just come and drink a beer and, and have fun sort of this thing. This sounds great. So, send deets. Yeah, there you go. Be, <laughs> beehive sports. So we can get you connected to that. So that's one thing that I do. Um I went through this phase, and this was pre-pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic changed a lot of things for community sort of stuff as well, mm-hmm. which could be a whole other topic. But I went through this phase where there was a community documentary shown every week at like different libraries and different locations more downtown. So the documentaries are intended to be thought-provoking, and then they usually have some sort of, not all the time, but some sort of panel discussion afterwards. Mm-hmm. Not that I would necessarily raise my hand and ask questions or get involved, but just to be like in that space of 
an interesting documentary that had some sort of connection to our community um, and like learning about something new made me feel more involved in the community. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool too. One thing, one thing is like work. Like mm. you have a career, you know, you went to yeah. school, you have yeah, a thing, point. You, you've got people you're working with, you're helping people, counseling people even. Um, like my friend Brian hasn't worked. So like there's just so much more isolation there. Mm. Um, even me, I recently quit my job to live on crypto. So like cool in a way. Right. Um, but also isolating, you know. Right. I don't know of – I mean there are like crypto groups, but I've looked at some of them and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went really deep with crypto and most of the people like – which, no offense to them, that's what they want to do. It's just very surface level. Yeah. They look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Doge yeah. and dump their money into it and see if they lose it all. So yeah. You, yeah I like you're talking to me. The, yeah, that's me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But I don't know. I just haven't found a community there. I haven't really tried very hard either. But um, not having any work group either is also somewhat just isolating, I guess. So. I don't know. We need some better systems. I've even tried like the Meetup app, uh, and, and those just never quite seem to resonate either. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've been wondering about those because I've had other friends, you know, tell me they've tried the Meetup app for um, these less. I don't know if this is the right term, but less mainstream interests. You know, they try to meet up, and some feel like they've had some success, but also it's kind of like, yeah, you know, like you get them all like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't seem to quite. Isn't fit. quite my yeah, group. <laughs> yeah, not quite, not quite my feel. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum to be in. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that fit. But with the work sort of thing. I, I get that and I feel some sort of social interaction from work, mm-hmm. but now I've been at my job for long enough that I've noticed that like, I, I like people I work with and I enjoy that social interaction. I'm not trying to throw any shade at anybody I work with if, if they listen to this, but I also realized that like, I shouldn't be getting the majority of my social interaction from work, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Of course, I have to be social when I'm at work, but I, I feel like that there should be something more socially, emotionally engaging for me besides work. I shouldn't be yeah. relying on that, right? Because yeah. it's this weird sort of thing where if you put all your reliance in into work for a paycheck, for your social interaction, for your mental health and enjoyment and life sort of thing, and then mm. you're setting yourself up for failure, I it's think. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So I've been noticing that myself. And like, even though I, I have a job and I can get some social connection from that, like trying not to put all my uh, eggs in that basket, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a valid point. I don't know what that answer is. Cause I've, I've traditionally worked in, you know, office settings with other people being a social worker. You're obviously working with people all the time. So social, you're doing heavy work though. Yeah, like- it is. It is one end of the spectrum of like, Oh, too much social, social interaction too, sometimes. Not a real you know? jovial environment. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So I'm almost feeling that other need of like, wow, wonder what it would be like to be independent and work for myself and, you know, just answer to nobody but myself. Yeah, pros and cons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons. yeah. so tell me, tell me those pros. I want to hear some pros from your, um, from your experience of it. Like, I don't even know if I can claim working right now. So I completely live off of income from cryptocurrency. 
Um, and I've set it up in a way that even with this crash, like I'm, I'm set. All my bills are covered. I just get, nice. get yeah. interest every month, which sounds like living the dream. And in a way, in a way, it is. I'm grateful for that. Also terrifying because right. even having enough that I can live off the interest, it's like that could change on a dime overnight. This yeah. whole Luna debacle, yeah, it was like. <laughs> $90 uh, token, and it went down to fractions of a cent in two days. That's crazy. So, like, a lot of people lost their whole life. Like, right. really sad. So, like, it's a crazy environment. There's a lot of risk involved with what I'm doing to this point that most people probably couldn't handle the anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I can half the time. <laughs> but, like, going great for now. Um I was working on an NFT project, but like I held off because the market got so weird. So I'm like kind of doing my own projects. It feels to some degree like there's a lack of purpose. Mm. Um, even just going to work, my prior job, I was running the supply chain at Built Bar. Mm. So I was buying ingredients for protein bars. But even that had some level of fulfillment. Like I had to do my job for the company to run. Yeah. And now there's none of that. Right. Even if I make a lot of money one day moving money from one place to another, it's like I'm manipulating fake money <laughs> and getting money. Right. So it's like there is no sense of adding value to anyone. There's no sense of purpose. There's no fulfillment. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, mine's a very particular issue there. I don't know that that's common with all working from home, but like yeah it's just very strange it, i'm in a cool spot where i can dictate what it looks like now so i can find what fulfills me and i'm excited to explore that but i mean this is fresh for me i've mm. been doing it for like three or four months like okay. without yeah. working um and i'm gonna start exploring but i have no idea where that's gonna go like i said even with the like community stuff i have no idea what really excites me um I don't know what really my skills are necessarily. Sure. I feel like I have a lot, but they're kind of weird, and I need to find a way to assemble them into a way that adds a lot of value to something. It might be some kind of public speaking, like I launched my podcast. I think I like writing. Mm. I like coaching and like self-development stuff. So I've got all these little pieces that I'm going to kind of pursue and see where that goes. But yeah, it's just exploration for as long as I can until I have to get a job or <laughs> I'm in the clear and never have to work again. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. Like you described, a little exciting, maybe a little bit scary as well. Um, do you have you gone to this headspace of like questioning whether? this pressure of like, I don't know if I'm working sort of thing, like uh, questioning that and like, is that a societal concept? Is, is it, are we putting that pressure on you as a society to make you think that you need to work and work for the man and be a part of the cog and the will? And now that you're breaking out of that sort of thing, now you're experiencing this sort of freedom, but that freedom also has this psychological challenge to it like because it's true freedom you can you can yeah. do whatever the hell you want every day i yeah. can't i gotta go to my office right so like in in a sense you're at a higher level of freedom than me but 
then you're experiencing this psychological challenge of like, oh, is, is this cool that I do this? You know, is this okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. you <know? laughs> there is certainly that like societal kind of, and some groups that more than others that would like point the finger at that and point out that I'm adding no value to society <laughs> or something. And I don't buy into that a lot. I don't think that's where my pressure comes from. Okay. But there's definitely a sense of fulfillment versus not having a sense of fulfillment or waking up and having a purpose that drives you and excites you to get out of bed in the morning. Um, having enough money to live, like I'm not like rolling in it or anything. I live in an apartment. I drive a 15-year-old Toyota. But like my bills are covered mm. and that's cool. But also like why why to wake up? Why get out of bed? What am I motivated to do? It's just a whole different factor. And I'm such a like self-development kind of guy that I'm aware that mm. there's a lack of fulfillment here. And that's something I want to find. So it's more personal than societal pressure. Um, I've mostly been met with uh, people being impressed when I tell them what I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which feels odd in itself because, I don't know, call it imposter syndrome. But, yeah, it's mostly just wanting to find a sense of fulfillment, what really turns me on, whether it gets me money or not. I'm doing some painting, too, like – Selling my art feels also imposter syndrome-ish, mm -hmm. but it's fun to do. So, yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen some of those paintings that you've posted on uh, social media, and they they're, they're cool. Uh, it's no surprise that they're they're selling. I think they're they're like this. Uh, I don't know how uh, you can describe them, how you would describe them, but I, you know, I would say some, some somewhat of an abstract piece that you know put in your yeah. house and it just adds to the space you know yeah that's like exactly it okay that's funny. sweet sweet because <laughs> it's like the stuff that feels like i'm literally just pouring paint on a canvas and then sometimes it looks good i don't know <laughs> yeah. so it's like you're like wow you're an artist i'm like yeah that's pushing it <laughs> i get lucky sometimes but um before i got divorced which was in 2016 uh my ex-wife and i were building a like stupid big house in sandy and I knew, like, I'm really into, like, real estate and interior design. I just, I like it. Yeah. I like homes. Um, and the art that I liked was just this abstract colors that added to the space in the room. But they were all, like, five, ten thousand $10,000 for a single piece. Right. And we have a large place that we would need to have art for. Right. So. It was, I got into it almost just being cocky, like, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> All this, like, some three-year-old could do that, I could do this, so let's save myself, like, $100,000 and uh, make my own art. Yeah. And, like, it was so bad. So I threw everything I made in the garbage for four years. Everything. Uh, one time, like, I had a stack of them in the basement, and my little son, who was, like, five or maybe six at the time. I think it was five. He went down and found him. He's like, wow, these are so cool. <laughs> and he brought all of them up to his room and I'd hang them all in his room. So it was half torn between this looks stupid and like almost brought to tears because my little son loved it. Right. <laughs> so it was really cool. But I'm not really sure what motivated me to keep going in the art world when it was much, much harder than I anticipated. And it was all trash. 
but kept going and on like year five it's like oh okay sort of coming together a little bit yeah yeah that one's not quite going in the garbage yeah so yeah here we are just kept going and then when somebody pays money for it you know that's like a a next level because there's no like there almost doesn't need to be any sort of discussion like if they if you present it to somebody and they look at it and be like yeah i want to put that on my wall and they're like great you know it's such a foreign feeling dude it's so weird like having the non-garbage worthy pieces yeah and then going to posting them publicly that was a whole step for me yeah i think i have a uh, i have a consistent theme with imposter syndrome <laughs> but uh then listing them for sale and like how to charge for them and it's like just my materials like the canvas and the paint and the additives is like 150 to 200 dollars a piece so then my time with it it's like how, how do i charge for this it's like five six hundred dollars for one thing and i'm barely i'm not even making that much money yeah it it's a very strange feeling and even then when it sells like it's so easy to convince yourself that people feel bad for you or like or they're <laughs> yeah. just trying to be yeah. nice but uh, i'm coming around i've been selling them for like about a year now and i've sold like 10 something like oh, that that's awesome yeah so it does feel cool i get really excited seeing them actually on people's walls and yeah coming around strange feeling though no that's that i think that that feeling is probably normal that imposter syndrome like yeah. i've of course experienced that when i started this podcast every time i put it out an episode <laughs> and like put it out there for people to listen to like people even you know do people like this do people want to listen to yeah. this and yeah you got to get to that point of like Maybe ask. It's helpful to ask those questions because maybe it helps you to push push the limit a little bit. But then, at some level, I just say like, I don't give a shit. You, exactly. You, you, you want to listen to this? Great. If you don't, yeah, that's fine too. You know, I'm not I'm not trying. To, and I think that comes with age a little bit and experience yeah. in life. And just be like, I gotta quit trying to like appease everybody and make sure everybody mm-hmm. likes everything that I'm doing and is okay with everything I'm doing because that's just it's not reality. It's right? not gonna happen. And it was, for me, the same thing. Like, around the time that I started releasing my art pieces, it was a big step. But it was like, I don't care if they sell. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, panicked to make money off this and trying to push right. them. And what's what's going to sell? What are people going to like? Like, I make what I like. I list it. all By listing it, it's like it's on a website, and I announce it on my Facebook and Instagram. That's it. Yeah. I've done nothing else. But it was around that time that I actually started doing my podcast, too. And like I said, it had nothing to do with people listening to it. I don't care. It's nice. I appreciate right. when people listen to it. Like, yeah. yeah, that was, I got a lot out of that. I've never heard people talk about the depression that way. And it resonated with me and it was helpful. That feels amazing. But I want to do it so that I can connect with people. Yeah. I want to be able to have some tool that I can say, let's have a conversation. And it doesn't feel weird for me. So, which, and, all credit to you because it's kind of worked we're connected now too we're having yeah. a com- another conversation right hell yeah so i think it, it's working i feel that same way of me just putting that out there that i'm wanting to connect with people it, it's creating connections mm-hmm. i had to put myself out there first to do it and that was a little bit like imposter syndrome a little bit you know nerve-wracking and like oh i don't i don't know how to do this i don't know how to do a microphone i don't know how to do <laughs> adobe edition you know i don't know how to know and i had to figure it out but just that process and I've learned a lot, grown a lot, 
and getting to this point where part of it is selfish. I just want to have a conversation with people because I think it's fun and interesting. But I, I understand the byproducts of that selfishness will be that other people will hear it and get something out of it and hopefully add to the community conversation um, or an individual conversation. I would love for somebody to like listen to one of these episodes and bark at me and be like, Pete, that's bullshit. I don't agree with that. And you're right. like, yeah. come on my podcast. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Or like, oh, I totally agree with you. Like, come on my podcast. Let's talk about it. You know, like I want all opinions and I'm not afraid to have that conversation. The hard part is, and I, I talked a little bit about this with Amanda, who the episode's not quite published yet, but the hard part is like when you have these conversations, you get to a point where like, I want to hear what you have to say, but I disagree with you. You know, like that's yeah. that's the hard part of like being very straightforward and be like, no, I disagree with you. And this is why sort of thing. Cause oh. then, then it adds in a little, a little contention, a little bit like, wait a second, somebody disagrees with me, you know, like, yeah. or maybe they disagree with me. Like, oh, then, you know, that I think the natural human inclination is to maybe get to like an argument of like trying to prove your point. But part of me is also wanting to be able to like have a conversation where we disagree and be like at the end of the day, we, we still disagree and that's okay. And we've been able to talk about it and maybe I'm a little bit more informed on something that I hadn't been informed on before. Yeah. If nothing else, it lets you challenge your own assumption, right? Yeah, you can yeah. figure out that there's another view and accept that other people have that. You don't need them to have your view, but yeah, love that. Why Why is it so hard from your observation for people to challenge their assumptions? I think there's a lot of reasons and it kind of depends on the topic, but it's it's really easy now to get into an echo chamber, um, especially with community-based stuff, right? So if you're even physically like you go to church you have a group of hundreds or thousands of people that largely share your values. Yep. And there are predefined values. So the closer you align with those predefined values of the organization, the more correct you are. And so everyone's kind of moving towards that, and the person closest to that will win any discussion mm. within that community. Mm -hmm. So that creates an echo chamber. The same thing happens on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There are extremely complicated algorithms that will feed you exactly what they know you want to hear. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so true. If you are super Republican, um, or through through the pandemic, like the pandemic was very divisive in masks, no masks, like it separated people into groups. Once you start posting the memes for X group or liking the things from that group, you get fed more of it. Mm -hmm. I saw my girlfriend that I recently broke up with. She was very outspoken with this stuff. And I saw like her Instagram and Facebook and it just kept feeding her this stuff. So 100% she's right now, correct? Like she's yeah. got... She's got it all. Why? Right. How can these people disagree with her when right. she goes out and people are still wearing masks? Like, what the hell? What are you doing? Yeah. Are you not seeing all this stuff? <laughs> Do you not know? Yeah. And then I got caught up into it to a degree. I'm not outspoken. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do what I feel like, and I don't want to do that, so whatever. But then I saw, like, 
someone who strongly was the other side, and they're getting fed the exact same. It was strange to me to see memes making fun of the other side. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, those exist. <laughs> yeah. So challenging your own assumption, one, you're usually not aware of it because you're surrounded by your own opinion. Yeah. And it's fed back to you in a thousand different ways, just confirmation bias. It's continuing to build your own view. Um, so having people that will actually call you out and have a discussion, being willing to be called out and have a discussion is huge. And then recognizing that you're in an echo chamber to some degree, I think is also huge. Mm. I don't think... Well, I don't know if it's fair to say or not, but it seems to me that most people aren't very open to having their own assumptions challenged. Yeah. They don't seem to want to. You're right. And in some cases that can be terrible. In some cases it's like, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Depends on the topic. But yeah, yeah I try to just remain as open-minded as possible, but I'm sure there's, I've got a lot of blind spots where I'm sure of something and I could be totally wrong. Yeah, I'm sure I'm the same way, and I've been trying to be better about it as well as ch- you know challenging all those things and looking at different viewpoints and hearing different viewpoints to the point on like Twitter where I will follow Donald Trump, but I'll also fo- follow AOC and hear what she has to say as well. <laughs> yeah. So my, maybe my Twitter algorithm is confused, like what what is this guy? <laughs> yeah, they don't know what to feed you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to give me. But yeah, I did that on purpose so that like I can hear these different viewpoints and talking points about these hot button issues. But then it gets a little scary when you do think about like how good the algorithms are and how good social media is about putting people into their their groups. Because like if if they're really that good at it, oh, man, that, that's just ripe for manipulating pe- people for whatever that control source wants. Yeah, it is. So it, it's it's scary in a way, and I think that there are probably some nefarious things happening out there. But it's also probably just like the byproducts of us barely having social media within the last. 10 or 15 years and trying to figure this out. I agree. And I think it'll reach a breaking point. I kind of think it's getting there. You can kind of see it with the whole the Twitter and the Elon Musk thing. He's <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> recognizing manipulation and just like stop censoring. <laughs> That's not to say that he will do that or not. Or right. maybe he has his own motive. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I feel excited about it just to watch the shit show. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. It's entertaining. Uh, yeah. I think it's amazing. It'll be it'll be fun to watch if nothing else. Yeah, going back to the religion piece though that that's a that's a really hard one because religion you're almost caught up at a higher level because you connect that to a higher belief and that belief is truth. Yes, big big T truth, not small T truth, yeah. like absolute truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you mentioned this on the first episode of your podcast, and I talk about this a lot too. Is this this notion of absolute. I don't think there's the, there's very few things that are absolute. If anything, I don't know what is absolute, right? Yeah, yeah. There, you could probably find evidence for the opposite on anything that you would say an absolute for. So it's really scary because when you get into the, the notion of religion, there are absolutes presented there and people getting stuck in those absolutes. I have a lot of challenge with that because it is you know hard for me to have discussion with somebody that is 
very religious anymore about these absolutes because it's just an absolute for them. So where's the discussion? It's, yeah. it's an absolute. Yeah, there's no open-mindedness there. Like they are unwilling to consider anything else because that is truth. That is a fact. And so challenging it is just they want to win you over if nothing else. Right. And you're like, yeah, I'm no, I don't know. Well, <laughs> like they need to persuade you. <laughs> right. So religion's tricky it's a fun topic for that reason in a lot of ways because i don't care i don't i don't get offended by it but if if you challenge it the other way if you're talking to a religious person that's their most deeply held values to their core and you challenging those is offensive it's breaking down their core values their core beliefs so yeah, I've realized that there are people that you can have a religious conversation with that are curious and open-minded and understand that there are very few absolutes. And then there's the ones that have fully adopted those truths to their core, and that cannot be threatened. Because not only does it threaten their values and their beliefs, it threatens their sense of community, their sense of safety in a tribe, like... Mm-hmm. It can feel like death separating from that. Right. So I've noticed, you know, because I think our generation, there's quite a few of us that have left, you know, for our community in particular, left the Mormon church, left being LDS. So I've noticed that there's this, this quite this tension between those of us that have left and, uh, you know, our family members and friends that stay and want to retain their participation or whatever. I've noticed this tension there of like maybe, and I can just speak for myself, like me, how much do I like want to engage them in discussion and question them now versus how much do I just want to like acknowledge where they're at with their truth and like support them and let them be. I don't know. Yeah. Have you noticed that, that tension? I have, I've, I've let go of it to a degree. Like I said, it's like you, you, I've reached a point where I can tell pretty quickly where they're at and like, this is your core belief, your core values, and they will not be tested. Like, oh, okay, that's cool, man. Like, <laughs> I love that you found something that works for you. That's right. awesome. So roll with it. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. You could be right. Right. Maybe there is a God who's going to hate me for not finding the exact path that he laid out without a way for you to know, except for asking, except a lot of people have asked and get a lot of different answers. And the Muslim guy and the Jehovah's Witness <laughs> yeah. and the Mormon and the Catholic will all die and or kill a lot of them, like, over their belief. Right. But they conflict. Therefore, they cannot all be right. Therefore, the system for knowing truth is broken. It's flawed. Very flawed. Yeah. In my opinion, if there was an omnipotent God... And he wanted us to know of a specific path, there would be a way. Um, There could still be an omnipotent God that doesn't really care if we find a path. We're Mm -hmm. just here for the experience. Right. You know, I have no idea because there's no way of knowing. (laughs) That's where I'm at. Yeah. I, I think I'm in a similar space. And I think about like... And maybe this is part of my Mormon upbringing to think in these extremes in sort of this black and white territory. But I think of like the opposite of belief. Are we saying as somebody that is post-religious, maybe I'd consider myself agnostic. 
are we saying that no religion should exist or should we shut them all down? You know, like no churches, no more, no, no religions. Like if we had the choice, would that be it? And we're going to, uh, you know, educate people on how there's no absolutes. <laughs> like, I don't, it just feels weird to even like say that. Right. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's I don't the case? Know. No, I don't. That's the thing. Like, like certain days I do. Of course, certain days like, oh, let's shut this down. Yeah, but, but shut it down. Yeah. Other days I'm like, what am I trying to say? Like, I'm just saying like, let's let's take this away from everybody, people's right to choose. But then I get then I get stuck up, particularly stuck on, particularly with the Mormon thing, stuck on this idea of an informed consent. Informed consent means to me that you get all the information before you make a decision. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's ultimately why I left participating in the Mormon churches because I got more information. And now with more information, I got to make a decision now. Right. And that decision led me to not participate anymore. So I, I guess that's the question I always ask of like this idea of like bringing more discussion into my friends and family that are, are religious is like, well, from my experience, I got this more, this little bit, bits of information and that, that pushed me to be able to make, I feel better decisions for myself. So would you like to know about these bits of information? (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know, it's hard. Yeah, it is. I like, I felt this strong conflict with, with like the thoughts of, should I, should I do that? Should I share the things that I have earned Mm. since having an outside view of that faith and looking inward and actually being able to explore because being an active member of it, like you're told straight out, like if you're going, if you need to learn more, do it from church approved (laughs) materials, like do it from our website Mm -hmm. because otherwise you don't know if it's truth. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, but like that didn't seem strange when I was in it. It was like, yeah, for sure. We don't want to. We don't want that <laughs> yeah. bad info from those anti folks. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's been a a real. I don't even. It's just been very strange having someone that I care about, knowing how much happier and freer I feel outside of that faith. Yeah. And wanting to help others get there too, in a way. Yeah. But also recognizing. This is probably working for them, or if nothing else, they think it is from their perception. Yeah. Because I thought it was. I mean... Me too. You and I met as missionaries in (laughs) England, so like, um, like we're out teaching people this. Nothing would have pulled me away from it. Yeah, me either. I was was in. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's a a strange thing. I've, I've landed on... I don't really talk about it unless I'm asked... Because I, I don't really feel like it's my place to try to persuade someone to a different way of life. I just, I'm all about live and let live. Yeah. Love people, support people. If something's working, awesome. You want to explore something else? Let's talk about it. Yeah. I, I, I'm in a pretty similar place. I, you know, I get challenged when other people, you know, bring up the topic and, you know, make comments that I think from their perspective are in efforts to help me or to check into where I'm at, you know, like, I don't know if you can be happy sort of being out of the church sort of thing. And it's like those sort of small openings in the door of like, do I jump in and like, be like, really go after this or like challenge all, challenge all those assumptions that they just made about my happiness being based upon 
participation in a certain thing. So that, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging thing. And I like having a conversation with somebody like you. Of, of course, we're, we're supporting each other and in a sense getting in an echo chamber with each other. But I think mm-hmm. this conversation is also maybe going to be helpful to folks that hear this might that still might participate in the church and just like hearing our perspective about talking about these things about how complicated it is for for us and how sensitive we still feel towards it it's like i don't want to no i don't want to go burn the church down yeah i felt that maybe a, a couple you know a year <laughs> and there but like no like i live and let live sort of thing if 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 that's where you want to be and if it makes you happy and you want to participate in it I support you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I feel like I'm kind of rare among post Mormons that like I have I have no anger towards it at all. Mm. I don't think I ever did. Like me dropping out of it was um it was around 2015, 2016 and there was a lot of like I don't even want to say anti-gay cuz I usually try to do it in a loving tone, but right. like it was strange. There was a lot of weird messages about... It's when it all happened for me, too. Yeah, yeah, so that was my initial questioning, because in England, on my mission, I knew a particular one gay guy that was really kind to the missionaries, and, like, we'd talk to him a lot. Um, was that the guy in Reading? He was in... It was Jimmy. He was in London. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know if I met him. Maybe. Mm. But, like, he was really open and vulnerable about it. He'd talk about his feelings. He he was a member as well. Um, and it, it made sense to me. It's like, like I, as I could try so hard to be right. attracted to a woman. I could have the most attractive woman, right? Like, nothing. It's just not there. Like, right. I have that towards men. So right. It just, it just made sense to me. There's... I don't know. It made sense. And then hearing church members be like, it was during a conference. I think it was Packer, Elder Packer, who was like, there's no way God would make someone like that. And yeah. That was the first thing that just kind of snapped in my head. I was like, that's wrong. That's <laughs> the first time I've heard one of them say something that I know is wrong. Right. And so that opened the door. Then I started asking questions. And then it was this weird circumstance where, like, my wife and I sold our house and moved to a small place where we're going to build the big one. So we're living in this little house in, like, Murray, and we just had our child. So we have a newborn baby, just moved out. We go to church one Sunday. My son is screaming at the top of his lungs. And it was, like, this really old church building. It was dimly lit. Everyone had, like... Everyone was probably like twice our age average, and they all had bolo ties. And I was like, "This, <laughs> this feels really weird." And my child's screaming. I'm like, "Let's go home." She's like, "Yup." And we went home, and it's like, "Do you want to go back?" The next week, like, Smith's pretty tired. We should. <laughs> he needs a nap. Right. And it just, it was the perfect little transition. No one knew we were there. We didn't have ward members that started giving us callings to get us in. And so I had this little taste of an outside view. Mm. It's like, ah, I have space to think, space to ask questions, space to be home on Sunday. And it just unraveled from there. Mm. And then I've had friends that had a lot more of a journey with it and, like, started reading books about early church stuff. And, uh, whew. That's 
that's brutal. I was already out, so it's like I didn't I didn't need that. Yeah. But man, like there's some there's some stuff back there. Some messed up stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have anger towards it. I've had a little bit of disappointment in how they manage their money and things, but yeah. it's none of my business. So, right. like, if people want to pay them, like, awesome, whatever. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that stood out to me from kind of that, uh, that part of your history is this this idea of, like, noticing a little bit of tension around something and maybe making some excuses for that tension like oh smith's tired you know like yeah. <laughs> we better not go you know uh, and then maybe challenging that assumption of being like okay i'm just making an excuse that my son you know is hard to to handle when we go to church step back what is that really inside me is it really that you know smith's tired or is it like I don't want to do this anymore. You yeah. know, and I just making excuses. I mm-hmm. like I'm I need to step away. So if anything, you know, if any advocacy on my part of, you know, this idea of should I tell people to leave or should I tell people to stay? If anything, I would just go back to that challenging assumption sort of thing. Like if you feel those sort of contention pieces with like, okay, I'm going to church again, but I don't really enjoy this. You know, it's like, crazy though, because like you when you are in that community, it is so tightly knit yeah. among families that I even have friends now that are fully active LDS. I know for a fact if they, I mean, that's an assumption, but like pretty sure yeah. that if they did not have like a family that made it not okay right. to not go to church, right. they would step out and explore it. Yeah. But making that decision to step out and explore it raises red flags among everybody. That's true. Your parents, your siblings, especially when you get married and like your in-laws, right? There's a whole different level of pressure from that group. That's very true. So you're not really allowed to, to do that. And again, it comes back to that tribal instinct where you want to belong, otherwise you feel exile. If you have your family and your inside, in-laws family and your wife or husband fully in it, like, do you the, imagine the courage that it would take to be like, I'm not feeling this. Right. I'm going to step out. It leads to ending relationships, right? Yeah. And a lot of times families aren't very supportive of it and right. it actually gets messy. And, yeah. That's unfortunate. So sometimes it does take a weird little lucky situation of getting off the LDS grid to to look at it. And I think that the same concept applies to a lot of other things. It can apply to politics. Yeah. If your whole family sure. is Republican and then you start wanting to vote Democrat, <laughs> yeah. like th- there's a lot of pressure with all of that stuff. So I've kind of tried to identify those aspects in life, religion and politics and I mean, largely those, but areas where you're expected to conform to a predefined standard. I don't think I have any of those in my life anymore, and I love that. Yeah. Because it doesn't apply to everyone. The rules, as hard as you try, it won't work. It might be great for forming a community, but when that community is formed around we're right and the other side is wrong— that is just creating conflict. More and more. Religion has that. We are right. Others are wrong. Right. But bless them. 
<laughs> Let's help them. Let's help them by right. forcing our way onto them. Right. Politics is the same thing with more aggression without the le- bless them. <laughs> it's, it's very true. So I, I don't, there's or no this, place for or that. Or this fake sense of bless them. Like yeah. this fake sense of like, exactly. we're compassionate. Come over here. Yeah. So we'll show you. Yeah. By yeah. coming over here. Yeah. We're not going to listen to you. Yeah. But you yeah. should listen to us. Right. And therein lies conflict and war and anger and just bullshit. So I don't do media. I don't do, I literally do not look at or read news in any regard. Like if something's big, I hear about it from friends or Facebook or whatever, but I don't do it. I'm out. I I support that. And I'm envious of that. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm trying to get towards that. I'm, you know, torn between this idea of, staying informed versus like oblivious you know like yeah. uh, happiness and oblivion like yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah. so I don't, I don't know what the answer is um i i think for you know probably situational again like individually like how is it affecting you is it affecting your mental health is it affecting your quality of life then maybe it's a time to take a step back and it does affect that for me sometimes i notice yeah. myself like just want to go be back to twitter and see what the next thing is because it's entertaining if anything you know yeah it's addictive too because like feeling passionate about something even if it's outrage it's unfortunate that the media their goal it's not even fear anymore people like to say that the media is trying to perpetuate fear it's outrage what they're going for is outrage they want to rile you up because that's what gets you sharing stuff that's what gets you pushing it out to the masses and sharing their message, getting outraged, taking action, buying shit. Yeah. I choose no outrage in my life. Like none at all. Are is this partly cuz we're in this like uh, unique part of history where we're advanced enough as a civilization it used to be that we were very tribal. We lived in a tribe. Mm-hmm. And there are stories within that tribe, like if you go outside of these walls or if you do this or this, it's unsafe, yeah. you're going to die sort of thing. So it's almost like in in your DNA to a, uh, to a certain extent where that's like built in of like we have these rules of existing because if you break those rules, then you literally might die. But now we're in a civilization where there's so much information out there and so much freedom depending on where you live in the world that like you don't need that tribalism anymore but there's aspects of it that are built into everything else, right? Yeah, I think so for sure. I think there's there's really a lot of psychological components to belonging to a group. It's you are certainly incentivized to agree with the group. Yeah. Even in in when I was in school, I did a lot I was in business school, so there's a lot of stuff on psychology and like marketing and how to influence and how to not be influenced too when you have products uh, like running focus groups. Those have to be done really, really carefully because of groupthink. If there's an outspoken person in a focus group and they're like, this sucks because of this or the opposite, this is amazing, the other people are likely to start agreeing. And then, then you're weird if you disagree. Mm. Like those studies where it's like everyone's in on it in a classroom and smoke's coming under the door. Right. And everyone's trained, told to sit there except for the the test person. Right, yeah. And they just sit there. Yeah. Like to the point that I think it was like 80 to 90% of the people were willing to die before going against the group. So, Which is, it's wild, but it is this weird psychological principle. And 
you you get down these weird rabbit holes of like well it's got to be all about control then like these people in charge know about this control aspect and like uh, you know if we can psychologically get them in a place then we can control these certain environments and maybe that's i don't know maybe this is a little bit rabbit hole-ish as well but like maybe that's where we are as a society we're right on this cusp or breaking point of like a, a lot of people being free thinkers thinking outside of the box getting away from this tribalism and people and these these big powerful politics religion are kind of kicking back me like uh-oh we're, we're noticing a big shift here what's gonna happen yeah yeah i've seen that a lot too and it's funny because there's the the mainstream media right and now there's a lot of anger towards mainstream media. It's becoming a dirty word in a lot of groups. Excuse me. Um, there's now this like opposite movement going. I'm going to call it the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> it's sad because a lot of conspiracy theorists or theories have a lot of, of merit to them. Right. Is the government lying to us about stuff? 100% they are. Of course are. they are. Of course. Yeah. They, they're trying to keep some degree of control. I'm sure there's a lot of malicious motive at the same time. I don't know. I'm never going to know. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to know that. Right. But there's – I've seen a lot of people where they jump onto every conspiracy theory because it is confirming their predetermined thing of I don't like what the media is saying. I don't like what the government's doing. So when someone's like, hey, look at this, anti-media, anti-government, check, check, confirmations, bias, whatever they tell you is going to work. You will jump onto it. Have you heard about the birds aren't real thing? <laughs> yeah, I have. You know, they're like spy vehicles for the yeah. government sort of thing. Yeah. And I, don't, I, I don't know if this is true. I haven't verified this. Someone told me that someone's made that literally as like an experiment slash joke to show that people will believe anything. Right. And there's a whole movement behind it now. Yeah. And like the flat earther thing and all that, and I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to claim I know anything, but question things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly where it is because there are so many of these things, and some of them do have merit. Some of them have no merit at all. Can you go within yourself, question them, and do you have the tools to to kind of figure out some of the the truths or the data that would would help you figure out the situation? That's the hard part. So I I don't think a lot of people have those tools, mm-hmm. and tools also means like time to do it. Like, yeah. do I have time to sit down and figure out if the Earth is flat? Not really. I mean, maybe that one's a little bit more straightforward, but like some of these other ones, do I have time to sit down and figure this out? So it's like this 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 whole machine within yourself of data coming in. What do I do with this data? Do I need to figure out something more, question it, or do I just let it let it go because <laughs> it's quick to to hit the bullshit meter, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so my my ex-girlfriend was getting on the conspiracy wagon and like she'd send me things that led me to like it was frequent. So I eventually reached a point where it's like how will this affect my life? Like does this matter to me? Because mm. I'll watch a video and then, okay, they're trying to say this. Is this true or is this not true? What's the motive? If this thing's true, what? Yeah. Like, it's trying to get me outraged at the government or some group or whatever. Right. 
even Earth flat, like this doesn't affect me. Yeah, like, I don't what, care. What's the point I don't care this? if it's yeah. a triangle. Yeah. That doesn't affect anything in my day-to-day life. Right. So I don't care. I'm not going to waste my time or energy or outrage on it. But no, the government's been lying to you. I'm sure they have. <laughs> I'm sure they are yeah. about things that you have no idea about and neither do I. Right. Awesome. You know, if if something arises that needs attention, that matters, that affects my life or is actively hurting people and I can do something about it, that that might require a different discussion. Right. But to me, the the filter is does this matter to me? And also, I think it's important to notice when you're presented with this kind of information, do I have any desire at all to connect with or appease this group or this mm. person that's showing this to me? Yeah. Because if someone's showing you something and you want to agree with them, you want to be accepted by them, that's going to influence how you feel about it. Yeah. It's going to influence the level to which you question things. If you want to belong to a group or a community, and it's it's easy to say, no, I'm not affected by that. You are. We yeah. all are. Yeah. We have a deep, deep desire. The tribalism thing and relationships and just seeking love and attention and being appreciated. Just having one person present something to you can be a lot more influential than we're aware of. I, I 100% agree. The actively hurting somebody is the hard part, right, though? Because, like, everybody has a different definition of what actively hurting somebody is. Like, you know, some of these conspiracy theories, if you go back to the pandemic, you, you know, just the fact that you are taking away the freedom of giving somebody the choice to wear a mask or not, that's act- you're actively hurting somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you get deeper down, like into like religion, and even I have this battle within Mormonism. Is is Mormonism actively hurting people? Oh, it's a complicated one. It really is. Yeah. Some some people are being hurted. You know, uh, hurt, and that LGBTQ folks are probably being hurt by yeah. the church. Yeah. Other folks are thriving in the church because it gives them the structure, it gives them the the path that they need, it gives them the the narrative they need to help their community build a strong family like that's good those are those are good things yeah <laughs> you know how do you deal with that you know those these are the, and this is this is probably one of my fatal flaws of this sort of next level deep thinking too much about it like well i can make an argument that it is hurting people and that's why we should true burn it down <laughs> <laughs> true and you can find that in a lot of the conspiracy stuff and in the government stuff too that's the, all those hot button issues i mean like abortion too it's yeah. like well hurting babies <laughs> yeah. well hurting a woman that's like in a situation that she can't be in for whatever reason that you're not going to understand right let people choose. Right. I don't know. Right. Like, I, I don't like taking sides in a lot of things because I can see situations where both sides are right in so many situations. So that's why they are the hot button issues. I think it's it's strange when one party is trying to control the outcome mm-hmm. altogether. And to me, it's just a bad system. Yeah, it is a systems thing. I, I get into the same sort of situation where like you get people that are trying to put you in to like make you say one way or another put you in this place or that place like no i'm really resistant like it, my 
my feelers just like kind of go off and be like, uh, no, like I don't have to like jump on one side or another about yeah. any issue. Like I, there's room for discussion about it. you're part it. of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They, they put you like, no, if you don't do this, then you're making it worse sort of thing. Like, no, like I, I live in a world where you know, they want me to be Republican or Democrat. And if you don't identify, then there's a problem. They live in a world where you, you know, either need to be in or out. Like, if you don't, like, there's a problem. Like, well, no, I don't think so. I think that's that's where discussion happens. That's where Amen. you connect with people and you figure out things and you get to this point where, yeah, like we're talking about, you're like, well, you know, uh, we've had a discussion about it. Now I'm going to let you go on your way and make your decision. I'll make I'll make mine if a decision needs to be made, or maybe it's just a discussion. No decision yeah. needs to be made. Amen. And like a lot of these, like the really tough issues, they can't be regulated in a way that's fair because like they're so individual. Exactly. Like case by case basis kind of thing. Right. Is this going to be better, like, as an adoption? Like, is this not? Is this going to hurt the mother? There's so many factors that you're never going to know. You cannot regulate that. It needs to come down to a discussion. And discussions can't happen unless it's safe either way. Mm -hmm. It needs to be safe and accepted and supported. So we need to learn to support each other, support decision-making and discussion. Yeah. That safety is a huge thing. Uh, another huge thing is like this human nature to like generalize and to put people in groups because it just makes us as humans be able to organize things uh, a little bit easier in our head. You know, just to make like an example from from my world and working with a refugee population here in Salt Lake, people ask me like, well, what is, what is the main thing? What's the one thing that the refugee population needs? I'm like, you're talking about a, a ton of different individual humans and families. They all need a little bit something different because they've all come in a different situation. And if we're not willing to go to that family to listen to what their needs are, then we're probably not going to help them. If we just try to develop a system that anybody that comes into Utah that identifies as a refugee, this is the system. Like, well, you're going to have a lot of systems failures. Yeah. It gets complicated. It gets really complicated. Yeah. People, flipping people, <laughs> too complicated. What if we could find a way to force them into a funnel? <laughs> Seems to be the strategy. It really is. What do we got to do to get them all here and then to attach this dollar sign thing to it? And then, you know, everybody's happy sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gets tricky. So I, uh, I choose to cultivate inner peace. <laughs> That's, that's where we should all start is this cultivation of inner peace and then yeah. if we get to the place of inner peace I think that uh, outer societal community interaction gets a little bit easier and more more peaceful too yeah and if you're called to something and you feel passionate about it go follow go help yeah given that we were uh, we mentioned earlier you mentioned earlier that our beginnings was mission the mm-hmm. uh, Mormon mission in in London the London South mission. I'm wondering if we could spend a few minutes on like this, this mission coming home from a mission. We're no longer identifying sort of thing. Like, I think there's a lot of discussion uh, around uh, like, I don't know, going back to this, like if somebody were to come tell me, like I got called to the England London South mission, should I be excited for them? Should I tell them like, Oh, don't, (laughs) don't go. Uh, Like this missionary thing. I think it's another topic within our community that, needs to be talked about more. Yeah. yeah, it is strange. I think that 
getting very specific with the question you asked, like if someone's going to where we went. Oh gosh, it is complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. On the surface, my initial thought is like that's awesome. Like that's awesome. Go and do it. Yeah. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, well, close now because of like divorce and I have a child with autism. Actually, autism takes the cake by far. Yeah. But it was really, really hard. It was also massive, massive in my character development. Leaving home at 19 at your own expense to like serve and teach for two years. You're going in blind. You're not like going with a friend. It is hard. Very hard. And they've got you waking up at 6.30 a.m. You have a very strict schedule until 10.30 when you must go to sleep. <laughs> I mean, aren't followed that much necessarily, <laughs> but for the most part, actually, like it's very strict. It's based on obedience. There's a lot of things you can learn within that. The sense of community is like nothing I've ever experienced. Like there was a lot of cool experiences meeting people and teaching people, but what I really took from it was the other missionaries. Mm. Being in that same boat where we're all scared little 19-year-olds standing in the middle of the street trying to teach people about something, that's tough. It's very tough. Um, I learned so much from it that I have zero regrets with going. It, I do have a little bit of a conflict when I think about going back to visit. Because, uh. like, I made a lot of friends over there. There's families that I'd love to connect with again. But there's now this degree of, wait a minute. Do the, I'm not in this anymore. I brought them into it. Right. Like... Yeah, it's weird. How does how do I rectify this? Yeah. Hey guys. Yeah. Oh, I don't do it anymore. Yeah. Wait a minute. It's cool if you do, but I don't. Yeah, and the families who are members that had us over for dinner all the time, are they going to judge me? Are they going to think less of me? Do they not want me around their kids because I've changed my mind? Yeah. There's definitely a fear with going back and connecting with those people from my new position. But if someone was going, I'd be nothing but supportive. I would try to make sure they know that they don't have to, to be accepted. Yeah. That if this isn't something they're feeling, that they can make a different choice. I like that. I definitely felt a lot of pressure. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't even from my family or anything. I think they all would have been supported, but supportive, but just within the community, there's some degree of unspoken shame with absolutely you didn't go. Yeah, that is unfortunate, and I would want to avoid that. At the same time, I took so much out of mine that it's hard to not recommend it. Almost, so. yeah, it, it's this weird situation. If we could uh, develop, a, create a situation where there's no shame around it, and it was just purely a free choice for a young person to do. Uh, you know, that would be great. But then the, 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 I go back to this psychological part of Pete and I'm like, well, this is a, a really weird psychological experiment as well. Like, like you, you are getting people at this particular age, 18 or 19, where if you really go back, me as an 18 year, 19 year old, I didn't know shit, you know, like I didn't really had wide eyes when it came to what was going on in the world mm-hmm. and to send me into a place where... I was with uh, 100 or 150 other 
guys and gals that were the same way, the same age. It's this weird psychological experience where the only thing that you can do is come together uh, based upon what you're you're doing together and make it work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And out of that, you get a, a ton of character development. Um, and in a sense, you get a, a more solid, like, okay, I'm, I'm in this sort of thing, you know? Which the nefarious part of things would tell me like, okay, that's exactly why the church does this sort of thing is because we're, we're creating people that are now knits and they're together and they're going to live this the rest of their life. Uh, the other part of that is like, well, if, you know, if I were God and trying to develop a system of how to get people bought into my way, may, maybe this makes sense in some sort of way, but, you know, let's get... Uh, gets poisoned by people doing it the wrong way it's such a hard topic it is it's strange it's another one that i kind of step out of because if this is right for someone i have no idea yeah you know and and by all means like we could die and be like shit they were right yeah i should have stayed in it and now now i get the the bad area yeah <laughs> now we're going <laughs> terrestrial going terrestrial celestial i don't know i hear they're still pretty good so (laughs) they're still they seem pretty nice still so maybe we're all right in that in that regard yeah it's it's a strange strange mind trip to to think about all of that and like all the the pieces that that come together like uh, we support you go and do it go and learn from it can the can is it really realistic to expect anything in life to come without shame or or you know this this challenging all oh, growth sort of thing it, no all i think everything in life comes with all those things i experienced shame in my job i experienced shame in my friendships that's such a such a hard thing man yeah 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 i don't i don't think there's an answer there's not yeah there's yeah. not that's uh, you know another big theme for me is there's there's usually not an answer to these big things. It's yeah, just, it's just it. It's the journey sort of thing. It's the, the path and it's talking about it and being more open to talking about it. And maybe if that were one take-home thing about like the church going on a mission sort of thing, that would be the take-home thing is to uh, breed this place where people can talk about it more and yes. to be more open to talk about it like a young missionary, like thinking about going and having all these questions and instead of not being able to ask those questions because of the shame and pressure releasing that letting them ask all those questions before they they make that that choice or that decision for themselves or same with uh going to the temple the same with getting married same with all those things there's a lot of pressure that goes into that if you release that pressure and shame and let people ask questions what changes amen it really needs to it's okay to masturbate if you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of the guilt and shame that built up over my teenage years. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think if the church could make one most positive change, it would be that, like, stop with the guilt and the, like, you are next to a murderer now in the eyes of God right. if you touch your penis. <laughs> yeah. like, Gosh, that's just hammered, hammered into us. And it's crazy that that's hammered into us and like female masturbation is not even, not even talked. I'm sure it's talked about at some level, but not, not to the same sort of like, mm-hmm. at least I never heard that sort of. They have, like a, of t- they have like a whole different set because I've talked to a bunch of women that have come out of the church and the, the levels of pressure they have to like be worthy and the... 
I don't, it's not really, it was early memes, but like the posters they would have where it's like, I forgot what it was. It was like an ice cream with a bug in it. And it's yeah. like, oh, you only like messed up once, but now, now no one's going to want you the, kind the, of stuff. Chewed piece of gum sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like giving that message to, to young women is fucked up. It really is fucked up. The long-term damage from feeling unworthy in any regard or unwanted is just going to perpetuate you down into mm. a world of shame. It's, mm. it's terrible. So in some sense, there's these insecurity pieces that happen on an individual level and on an organizational level. So it could be something like, you know, the church is super insecure about losing people going away from its membership that they create this this place of like keeping people in their place through shame and guilt mm-hmm. this insecurity piece so can can the church be more secure admit to themselves admit to its membership they are who they are this is what they're all about and let people choose their path of participation that that's the hard part and that's almost like an in oh no did I I think I'm still recording but I lost my mic for a second Oh, there we go. I couldn't hear myself. Nice. Um, like this individual journey as well. Like our, we're all on that individual journey to accept ourselves at, at that certain level, right? Like to accept us for who we are, all those pieces that come with it, and not avoid those shadow parts of ourselves and never talk about them and never admit that to anybody else because if we admit that then we're afraid that we're not going to have a relationship we're not going to Jake's not going to be my friend anymore because he knows this about me sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah. sad yeah. it needs to change it is really sad so I've enjoyed this conversation we've, we've gone to a lot of interesting places I always kind of come to this ending part of like you know do you have anything you want to put out into the community any concluding thoughts you know shout out your, your podcast again or talk about what you're doing to get people connected to, to Jake because that's what one thing you said early on is like you want to make more connections so uh, what are what are some of these yeah I, uh, I need some friends so my phone number is um no, I have my podcast called Challenging Assumptions with Jacob Vince. It's on all the major platforms. There's only one episode out now. I'll probably do another one by the time this is released. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jacob Vince. Love to connect with anybody. If anyone has thoughts on this or wants to add to the discussion, say what you think. I love engaging afterwards. That's the downside of a podcast is there's not a lot of engagement or discussion afterwards. Yeah. I'd love to be able to hear more of what people like and don't like. But yeah, reach out. If there's community stuff that I need to get involved in to make some friends and have some fun, I'm all about it. I appreciate that. And give us give us some departing crypto advice. Oh yeah, this is a deep one. Uh, don't don't buy the ones that have the hype. Okay. So by the time you hear about Dogecoin, it's already exploded. I remember seeing Dogecoin at like a third of a cent in 2017. I think I owned a little bit at one point. And then it explodes. Like, that's lucky. 
<laughs> and then shib copies because it's it's literally just a fork. They copied the code. Mm. It has no value. Right. Um, the hype drives the value. By the time you hear the hype, the other people are selling. You will lose your ass. Right. Stay out of it. Okay. I like this. Um, at the same time, crypto is going to change the world. So there's a lot of people that are still thinking it's it's tulips or mm-hmm. just bullshit that's going to evaporate. Every Fortune 500 company is betting heavy on crypto. They're all investing in it. It is happening. Governments are taking it on like this is happening. The NFT world right now, again, most people will look at it and say, I'm not going to pay half a million dollars for a JPEG of a monkey. Mm. Great. There's a lot of hype there. And right now where an NFT is little pieces of art that are overpriced, that is a fad. The technology of an NFT is not a fad. Everyone that hears this will own NFTs within the next 10 years. You think of all of the things that we use that are still paper and cards. Think of your car title. Think of your birth certificate, um, driver's licenses, anything that still requires paper and like faxing and shit because it's a document that cannot be copied. Mm. So you can't have copies that you're sending out. Right. That's what an NFT can do. It's a verified document that cannot be copied or replicated. Tickets. All of this stuff will become NFT. Right. The technology is happening. Learn about it. That's what I would suggest. Go learn about it. Learn about crypto projects. Find ones that are actually a valuable project. If you go dig into Dogecoin or SHIB and you dig deep, like there's no value there. It's a fork of the Bitcoin chain. They copied the code and made more tokens. Right. That's all it is. Right. Now, could Tesla say we now accept Dogecoin and now it has value as a currency? That can happen. But this is a mega, mega gamble. Right. Where there are a lot of projects that have a lot of value that are doing awesome things on the blockchain and you might dig it and want to invest and that's cool. Do that. Find the things you believe in. But if nothing else, learn more about crypto, what a blockchain actually is, what an NFT actually is, how the technology works a little bit. Dig into it so you're ready because it's coming either way. You can make fun of it, but it's going to happen. It's happening. Yeah, it's hard to wrap my brain around that sort of stuff. My brain doesn't work that way very well. So I, I need to dig in more to that because, I, yeah, I think I've noticed, felt a, a, a shift. It seems like part of the crypto world is kind of like an MLM world where we're all making money off of each other and that's the only <laughs> purpose of it. You know, maybe like a, a Dogecoin, you know, we hype it up so we yeah. can all pump it up and then sell it sort of thing. But then there's this other part that does feel more significant. And yeah, like it makes sense that all these things are going to exist in the blockchain and these non-fungible tokens that we use as tickets or, or, or whatever it might be. Uh, it's hard, again, hard for me to wrap my, my brain around it. And I don't know, from the government perspective, do you think that there's going to be a huge push from government on these sort of things? Because they lose, they lose some control there, don't they? Yeah, governments are terrified of, of cryptocurrency because you cannot shut it down. You can't cancel Bitcoin. There's no building. There's no, like, this is the Bitcoin headquarters. There's no CEO. 
there's no one to go after or sue. Yeah. It's distributed among hundreds of thousands of servers. Right. You're not going to stop it. Right. You can ban it in your country. That's happened a lot. Like, I think China's banned it a few times, and then they allow it back. And I think India tried once. And then you've got countries now adopting it as their currency. Um, The government manipulates people through money. It's like the main thing they can use to control people. They control with interest rates. They can print money. Um, That has a lot of implications, too, because the dollar is the global reserve currency, but only 30% of dollars are in the United States. Mm. So when we print 50 trillion more dollars... 70% of the weight of that inflation is global. Uh, And that causes all kinds of global problems. But it's easy for us, right? We only take 30% of the cost. Yeah, yeah. Um, They can't control when it comes to cryptocurrency. And that's where the crypto enthusiasts really get into it because it can't be controlled. You can't inflate it. You can't manipulate it. Some of them. There are some that keep control of their cryptocurrency. I think the government is going to try to appeal to the crypto enthusiasts. I think they're going to try to make their own cryptocurrency because it can all be traced Mm. so they can still control that way. But it will not be decentralized, meaning that it will still be controlled by one entity. But even if they do that, if the government makes their own cryptocurrency, it's going to have almost no value if it's not tradable for other cryptocurrencies. Mm, mm -hmm. And so what that's still going to do is pump trillions of dollars into the existing crypto market, and it will still pump up what's already there. So Bitcoin would become significantly more valuable if the government tried to do that. So either way. Even if... so. Even if the government never officially recognized Bitcoin as a, a currency, it doesn't matter because it's it's there. It exists. Mm-hmm. It can't really be stopped. What the government can do is if they want to ban it or tax it really highly or control what's called the on-ramp or off-ramp, that's where you're converting dollars into crypto. You're mm-hmm. buying it because mm-hmm. you have to do that with a bank. Right. So they can regulate that aspect. They can make it very hard, but, I mean, it's easy enough to hide if you wanted to. I mean, I'm not condoning that. They could make it hard. Yeah. But I think that they see the value at the same time. So they're in a very tricky spot. Yeah. It's, I think maybe this is happens for other people, but the hard part for me to wrap my head around this is that I that it, right now it is this exchange of like, I'm exchanging a currency to get a different currency. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that if this is trending the right way, that I don't know, there would still be several hundreds of currencies, but they'd just be all crypto related. So one day I'm just going to get paid for whatever I'm doing. My compensation is going to be crypto, not a dollar. Probably. Yeah, so it, it is a a big topic and definitely like you said needs to needs to be educated, you know, we need to be educated on it because it does seem like it will. Especially looking at one everything's going online. Dollars don't work online. Mm-hmm. It looks like they do because you're like, "Oh, we have Venmo, we have PayPal, banks like you can send wires and like that's all all of that 
is run through a system called Swift globally. And by Swift, it means every transaction takes like four days. Like the time it takes a check to clear, like sometimes they'll give you the credit immediately, but it takes three to four days for all of these transactions. It's very slow. Yeah. Um, And there's also a lot of problems with it. There's also something like three billion people in the world that don't have access to banks. Mm -hmm. Where if I have a phone, I can send Bitcoin to anyone in the world in like five minutes tops and bitcoin's the slowest there's others that are like instantaneous now yeah so there's a lot of value i mean so yeah there's going to be a lot like kind of like this shift of like getting to cell phones where certain countries never even got to like this landline they just went immediately to cell phones because their technology was there and like there's certain development in countries that are going to be like Oh, you don't have access to a bank. That's okay. We we don't do banks no more. We just do. Here's your phone. Yeah. Here's your connection to Elon Musk and Starlink to get you connected. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> now you're you got cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. A wild idea. Yeah, and you look at also how the dollar is trending currently with with the Rona. Like I don't know how many trillions they printed, but <laughs> the much. value of the dollar is dropping rapidly trust in the dollar is dropping rapidly so you could argue that global reserve currency if that were to shift would go to another government's money maybe china's becomes more powerful but i don't think so i don't think it's going to lean that way i think that as the dollar erodes probably bitcoin is starting would start to gain a lot more trust Mm. because no one can manipulate it interesting well, I'm glad that you are still here and that you didn't get too affected by uh, Luna because, you know. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully I didn't yeah. go into Luna. Because <laughs> uh, you hear those sad tweets of people killing themselves after losing everything because of the Luna crash. So Can't imagine. Yeah. It is uh, certainly very risky still. Yeah, it's a, it's a very uh, up and down, volatile right now, but worth learning about for sure maybe maybe that's what uh next time you know bring jacob vince back on my podcast maybe we spend a little bit more time in crypto because it's it's fascinating to me and i i definitely need some some knowledge and some help in yeah guiding that for sure love to talk about it with anybody by the way reach out love to chat i'll be doing a an episode on my podcast too where i focus on the crypto so sweet yeah it's a fun topic sweet so yeah for sure go check out uh jacob vince's uh podcast challenging assumptions with jacob vince Mm -hmm. um on all the all the platforms i appreciate your time and conversation it's been great to reconnect and and chat man been fun thanks for having me yeah absolutely thanks everybody